Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Well, 21 has officially started it. We're three days into it. A lot has been said about 2020. Uh, but uh, as I checked, every single month, every single week, every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second in 2020 was under the sovereign watchful care of God Almighty. Nothing happened that was beyond his control. God is seated on the throne. And God is, as we learned last week, putting all of Christ's enemies under his Well, as the New Year's begin, I, as your pastor, I, I thought it would be good time for us, in light of all that's going on health-wise, to evaluate ourselves as a church um, in regards to our health. Are we a healthy church? Are we being faithful to what God has called us to do? That's what God has called us to do, to be faithful. Um, when we get to heaven, he will judge us according to whether or not we were faithful. And those who were faithful, he will say, well done, thou good, and what? Faithful servant. And so we're going to look at our purpose statement. You might not even remember where it is, but it's the back on every week on the back of your bulletin and a box on the very last page. And we're going to take that over the next several weeks and just evaluate each point and see whether or not we are being faithful to what God has called all churches to in light of his word. Let me read that to you. Grace Church is continually depending on the Holy Spirit of God to enable us to glorify God by worshiping His Son in our teaching, sharing, praying, and remembering. We therefore progressively commit to engage, actively engage in four things on a continual basis. They are listen, read, and practice His words as found in the Bible. Share his resurrected life with each other through fellowship and share his resurrected life to the lost by evangelism. Express our complete dependence on him by praying in his name. And number four, remember his death by practicing ongoing repentance. And because today is the first Sunday of the new year and the first Sunday of the month, today we will remember his death by taking part in the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to examine that fourth item, remembering his death by practicing repentance. So let's read Acts chapter 2. These four points were not taken out of thin air. They are based on a passage of Scripture that we studied nine years ago. Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but just to remind you, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's back up in heaven. The disciples saw him leave as he floated away into heaven. Peter and the disciples are hidden in an upper room. And then the Holy Spirit comes the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus himself. 
promised by the Messiah. And the kids are going to stay with us this morning, okay? Comes. And he fills the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills the disciples. And Peter begins to preach. And let's pick up at verse 37 of chapter 2. 37. Peter preaches a sermon, a Christ-centered, a Christ-exalting, a Christ-glorifying, a Christ-prioritizing sermon. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, the others, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And in Jerusalem, this is an aside, in Jerusalem were devout men and women from all around the world for a festival in Jerusalem. All the nations were represented in Jerusalem that day. Verse 40, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, our key verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had been. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word. Amen. Let's, let's pray again. Precious Heavenly Father, as we examine your word this morning, Lord, encourage our hearts that you remain faithful to us as we exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that in 2021, Grace Church will be known to this people, to this community, to this world, a place where we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, and our God in heaven is glorified. Lord, we don't do this in our own power and strength. We do it by the power of the whole indwelling Holy Spirit, whose sole function is to bring glory to God the Father by promoting the words and deeds of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you promised, Lord Jesus, you promised while here we're on this earth to build your church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And Lord, as you continue to do that in 2021, Lord, find us faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Like I just finished praying, in fulfillment of Jesus' promise 
to his disciples that he would build his church. That is exactly what Jesus is doing in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had said to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 18, and he says this to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, not Peter, Peter's confession that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, Jesus is no longer physically present. He's no longer doing, and he's no longer teaching in his earthly body here on earth. Like I said already, he's in heaven. But he sent his Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit of the indwelling Christ, Jesus continues to work and teach through his body. Not his physical body, but now his spiritual body. And we know that as a church. And Jesus, by his Spirit, is adding to that body on a daily basis. And he continues to do so even until this day. And the body of Christ in Jerusalem there, they are completely devoted, both individually and corporately, to the words and the deeds and the glory of God the Father, the Lord, the words and deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're committed to the glory of God the Father. Just look at some verses with me in the Old Testament about the glory of God. Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to look at quite a few here, Exodus chapter 14. We've been studying Exodus, and we'll get back to that <coughs> the last part of January. And we'll be in, yeah. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20. Does anybody remember what commandment we'll be studying next? We're studying the Ten Commandments. Does anybody remember which commandment, what number it was? It was only three weeks ago, folks. <laughs> anybody remember? Yeah, Justin's got it over there. It's number seven. It says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Exodus 14, verse 4. Look what... The Lord says to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get, what? Glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God has always been concerned with his glory. Exodus chapter 24, Lord, me to verses 16 and 17. God is going to get his glory. Let me read verse 15, Exodus 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud overcovered and covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. God's glory was seen by all those who saw the mountain. Exodus chapter 40. Beginning with verse 34. 4034. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord was seen in Egypt. The glory of the Lord was seen in the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord was seen on the mountain. God is consumed with his own glory. Numbers chapter 14. And we are just looking at a few of the verses. But our purpose statement says that we glorify God when we worship His Son. Numbers chapter chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Let me read with... um, Start with verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live... And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times have not obeyed my voice. So God's glory is important to the character and nature of God Almighty. Numbers, I mean, Deuteronomy. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, verse 24. And he said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire, and this day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. God's glory. And as you go through the Old Testament, we see God's glory in a various... We see God's glory in the cloud that followed them. We see God's glory in the temple. We see God's glory in the Ark of the Covenant. The Old Testament is about the glory of the Lord. It's in His people. It's in His land. It's in His temple. It's in His tabernacle. Psalms 19.1 says what? The heavens... What? Declare the glory. The glory of the Lord is also in God's creation. Go with me to Psalm chapter 26. I have a lot more verses here, but I'm going to cut it short here. Psalms 26. Verse 8. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your what? Glory dwells. Turn over just a few chapters to Psalm 29. Verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the water. The God of glory thunders in the Lord over many waters. And verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, what? Glory. God's glory. 
God is consumed with His own glory. God says in the Old Testament that He shares His glory with how many people? None. No one. Did you know in the Old Testament there is a time when God removed His glory from His people? In Ezekiel, chapters 10 and 11, Jerusalem was to be disciplined by the Lord for their idolatry, for their worshiping of false gods. And so God removed his glory from the city of Jerusalem. You could see it, actually. He described, Ezekiel the prophet described the glory leaving Jerusalem. And for over 500 years, the glory of God was not seen in Israel. The next time the glory of God was seen in Israel was when our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to earth. And John the Apostle says in John 1.14, We beheld His, what? Glory. Full of grace and truth. The world was once again able to see the glory of the Lord displayed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. One time on the water, the disciples saw the glory of the Lord as Jesus walked on the water. One time on a mountain, three of the disciples get to see the glory of the Lord displayed in Jesus Christ when he removed his apparent tent that he was in, his fleshy body, and they saw the radiance of the glory of God, the perfect representation of God the Father in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has gone. In Acts chapter 2. He's no longer there, is he? He's up in heaven. Heaven is full of his glory. But God, through his Holy Spirit, has, for all intents and purposes, the glory of God has remained in not a person, but in the body of Christ, the church. And we see the glory of God, we see the glory of Christ today in the church, in the gospel message that Christ Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we studied this just a few months ago. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of the work within us, to him, where? Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's glory is seen in the church as we exalt His Son, Jesus Christ. As we are committed to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Back to Acts chapter 2, please. Verse 42. The early believers, 
added to the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God in response to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that exalts the person of Jesus Christ are being added to that body. And each one, each member as they are being added are devoting themselves. They are fully engaged. They are persisting obstinately. They are continuing steadfastly. They are keeping on continually the four things. The Apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let's just unpack briefly the breaking of the bread. You see in your Bibles, I think every Bible except for the King James puts that participle in front of the breaking of bread. It's a specific act of breaking the bread that they are celebrating, that they are commemorating, that they are doing that exalts or magnifies or prioritizes the person of Jesus Christ. They are taking communion. The God-fearing Jews and Gentiles who were in Jerusalem, that they were gathered together for a feast. It's one of the three feasts that they had to be there in Jerusalem during the year. talked about this a little bit two weeks ago. It was called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, later known as Pentecost. It was one of the three festivals required by them to be there. There was food going around. There was eating. There was eating on unbread bread. There were cups of wine being distributed. But that is not what Peter, that is not what Luke is talking about here. He's not talking about the Feast of Pentecost. He's not even talking about the Passover feast that they had celebrated 50 days earlier with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember that? His last supper, he had passed the cup, he had passed the bread. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating there that Easter. They were celebrating something that happened in their past, historically. What had happened in their past that all God-fearing Jews were celebrating on the Passover? What? They were celebrating their deliverance their physical deliverance from Egypt. They were remembering how God had delivered them physically out of bondage to Egypt. But Jesus Christ makes the transition there on that Last Supper. And this is what he says to them in Mark chapter 14. He says, On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they were sacrificed the Passover land, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, Say to one another, Is it I? And he said, It is, the, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes that is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would, be, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they are eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, Take, this is my body. This is the transition that God is making. 
from the celebration of their deliverance from Egypt to the celebration of his body and blood that was sacrificed so that they could be spiritually delivered, not from Egypt, but from the bondage to what? Sin. Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given it, he gave thanks to it, and they all drank of it. And he said, and this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it says they were daily, it wasn't once a month, first Sunday of the month, it was daily. When they were breaking the bread, they were indeed celebrating the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. They were taking part in communion. To them, it was making much about the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering His death, that signified they were delivered from their bondage to sin. Do you think God is glorified when we take part in the elements this morning? Yes, He is. Why is He glorified? Because we are remembering what His Son did for us on the cross. His amazing love, His sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. The clearest expression of the sum total of all of God's attributes, thank glory, is found in the gospel message that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And the clearest visible expression that Christ did that is when we partake of both the cup and the bread. We see God's glory in the cross. We see His holiness. We see His love. We see His wrath. We see His mercy. We see His grace. We see His forgiveness. We see His faithfulness. We see His righteousness. We see His peace in the cross of Jesus. And when we take part in the cup and the bread, we are remembering what Christ did for us. Psalm 85.10 says this beautiful verse. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other, and they kissed each other at the cross. We glorify God, Grace Church, when we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the clearest, most visible expression of that is partaking in the Lord's table. Can we do it more often? I think we should. I'm going to talk to the deacons. And I think maybe we should up how many times we should do it. We're not going to do it daily. And I don't, this isn't something we do at home either. This is something we do as a body, as a community. Maybe we can do it two times a month. Remembering what God has done for us and His Son, Christ Jesus. We're going to partake, partake, <clears throat> participate together right now in the Lord's table. Exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to the Father. As we do, I've encouraged you to before, there are four directions I think that as a body of Christ we should be looking. We should be looking upward, right? Glorifying God for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Our hearts should be drawn to God's love, His grace, His forgiveness, His faithfulness, His holiness. In the moments prior to the taking of the cup, we should just be praising God for his 
indescribable and great grip. But I think we should also not only be looking upward, we should also be looking inward. First Corinthians, Paul gives the church instructions that each one should examine himself. And so I think we should be looking inward. We should recognize, in light of God's holiness, we are miserable, wretched sinners. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And God should use, you should use this time to allow the Holy Spirit of God to examine your heart for sins that you are committing, sins perhaps that even today you're not aware of, but ask God, search me, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me. The early church did it daily, didn't they? We don't do that daily. But we can practice ongoing repentance every day of our lives. We can always be looking to God upward, glorifying Him, and we can always be looking inward. What in my life, Lord, doesn't look like your Son, Jesus Christ? How are you not glorified in my life because I am exalting me over the Lord Jesus Christ? And you say, Lord, this year, 2021, begin to chip away all those things that don't resemble the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Show me, reveal to me inwardly how I need to change. Upwardly, inwardly. But I believe we also need to be looking outwardly. To our brothers and sisters, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there a relationship that is strained between me and a brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ? But then also looking to the world. The world does not have this opportunity to remember the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection because they do not know of Him. Justin this morning was speaking of a man in Sudan who goes out and passes literature to the Muslims. They do not know the name of Jesus Christ. And so as we inly reflect daily, on a daily basis, we are beholding the glory of God. We are looking inward. We are also looking outwardly. Lord, teach me this year to be more faithful. And spreading the glory of the Lord. And then uh, the text tells us in 1 Corinthians that we not only look upward, inward, outward, but we also are forward-looking. Because we're supposed to take this until when? Until. And so every time we take the Lord's Supper, what are we looking for? We're looking for that blessed day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. It might be 2021. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great that this would be the last Lord's Supper we take because the Lord comes home this week? And we're supposed to be looking for anticipation. And as we look forward, it's interesting how the Scripture, it all intertwines because as we look forward to the Lord's return, we should live, what, pure life. That's what the Bible says. The fact that one day we are going to see our Savior face to face would motivate us to live pure life. So as is our custom, we're not going to pass out the elements. We're going to ask each one of you individually, or you can pick it up for your wife or your husband, here at the front and there at the back. And then once everybody is served, um, we're going to participate together.